0: Hello and welcome to the season finale of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hart-Spade. And I'm Jenners. We have a very special guest today, the lovely Sharon Van And How are you doing, Sharon?
3: Uh, all considering pretty good. How about you all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: last few months have been a wild ride for sure.
3: Uh, that's to say the least yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) how are you doing in LA I know you have family and you have a new pup and everything
3: (laughs) um you know we're you know it's strangely like we're we're really busy and Mm -hmm. and because of COVID and domestic life and working from home I feel like it's even it feels busier than it has in a a very long time and because I feel like people are learning boundaries but Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I've been writing my little ones, uh, super into superheroes right now. So Um, Robin is his uh go-to and we just got a puppy a week ago. He's about nine weeks old and, um, he's adorable. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, my son was finally going to bed and he's potty trained and now we have PL over the place and uh, (laughs) we're not getting sleep. But it's no, it's really fun, though. It's really fun, all considering.
0: Yeah, I, you've been busy the last few months with the obvious, but also I've noticed that you've been releasing songs, kind of uh, one here, one there, over the last few months, and they've all sounded beautiful. But the ones that I think are most specific maybe to what we talk about here on the podcast would be your cover of Nine Inch Nails Hurt, which I love. And then the cover of Portishead's Machine Gun for the Stereo Gum compilation. So, can you kind of take us on that journey of picking those two tracks, and what kind of drew you to them in terms of revisiting them at this moment in time?
3: Absolutely. I mean, the the timing is kind of funny and long term in a way because when each of them reached out to me to make those songs, it was pre COVID, and I was touring a lot and. I knew that I wanted to do it, but I said, if I'm really going to do it right, I'm going to have to wait so I can do it in a studio when I'm not in a temporary place. And I can devote time and energy to an interview and a song and all those things. So when I finally had the time, it was during COVID. And I was like, this is the perfect time. My studio was finished the month before COVID hit. And I was assessing all the projects that I had. Um, in this limbo and and they kind of they kind of made sense together too because they were songs that I connected with very deeply when I was in junior high and high school and learning how to handle my emotions and the only way I could express them was through music because I wasn't a very good talker or communicator so I very much needed connection through songs in order to feel like I let out that angst. And, um, you know, Machine Gun came later, but Portis Head was the band that got me through high school. And then I didn't get turned on to that record in third until like later in life. Definitely got me through some hard times. Uh, the Nine Inch Nail song, that song was on a, a cassette that my brother gave me that was a hand-me-down from a box of cassettes that he didn't want anymore when he he went to college and he left those behind for me, with my Walkman and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and yeah, they got me through some tough times.
0: Yeah, I love what you did, particularly with the uh, the hurt cover. I feel like you really kind of put your own spin on it. And I noticed a lot of the the YouTube comments were kind of noting that that you didn't take the obvious approach to it. You know, huh. yeah.
3: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Well. Lately, I've been writing a lot with a drum machine and either with a guitar, piano or a pad. And, you know, I think it's just such a beautiful song. And I think finding my own way to share it with people to show that I really do connect with it and that I I do find it in my own voice. And I when I hear it in my head, it's something that I'm saying to myself. And Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people that are fans of music they hear themselves they they connect with that like being their point of view and and so it's you know i was nervous to cover it because i am such a fan but you know there's always that tricky cover cover delivery of am i gonna try to stay true to it and like own it or am you know or am i gonna try to reinvent it a little bit without being offensive
0: (laughs) so (laughs)
3: Hopefully, I walk that line.
0: Have you ever thought about doing a covers album along the lines of like Cat Power? Because I feel like that would be so great.
3: We've a- I've actually considered doing like jazz stand, like jazz interpretations of my favorite songs ever. Nice. Um, and then also just doing a classics covers record, like a la the cover we did for Peace, Love, and Understanding. Mm-hmm. Because it just. You know I, I always liked musicals and classic cinema, but I, I never thought of myself as that kind of a singer. but when I got to do that one song, I kind of felt that. I was like, maybe I do maybe I do want to sing and with like a, an orchestra. you know, I mean I, that's not really an option right now, but uh, maybe one day.
1: <laughs> oh, I could totally picture that. That would be epic. Oh my gosh, with your voice, oh my gosh.
0: So, yeah, I was hoping we could go all the way back to your roots, which lead to Jersey, correct? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know um, it. <laughs> yes. What kind of stuff you were listening to as a kid and maybe what kind of influence your parents had over, you know, what kind of records they had in their collection? Or like you mentioned, your 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 brother as well had a certain influence. So where did you kind of grab influence from and what were you drawn to early on into your teenage years?
3: Well, my fam, my my parents were very avid music fans, and but they came from. There's some overlap, but most of the time they were very different sides of it. So my mom got me into musicals and duop and more soul songwriter, um, like Del Shannon, um, the Everly Brothers, Carol King. Johnny mm. Mitchell, stuff like that. And then my dad was more rock, um, like Jethro Tull, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Kinks, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mott the Hoople, uh, stuff like that. So He's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a unique kind of both, you know, it, it's kind of an, an, you know, Neil Young was like the bridge <laughs> and um, and and so like yeah Rolling Stones was a bridge Neil Young was a bridge um, and uh, the pretenders were a bridge mm, yeah. uh, so like a lot of classic things on both sides and like obviously the Beatles like everybody loved and Tom Petty and the mm-hmm. Heartbreakers was you know I'm one of five kids so when you go on a road trip you you all had to agree so it was like Tom Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, The Traveling Wilburys. Um, yes. Those were the agreements that we came mm-hmm. to. But, okay. <laughs> but my little brother was like Tom Petty was his favorite for sure. And then my little sister was like all pop. So she was like Christina Aguilera, mm-hmm. Britney Spears. And then my older sister was alt girl. So she got me into like – juliana hatfield and the Lemonheads and blur and my older brother was total grunge guy so like oh, what was that uh, ned's atomic dustbin yeah. <laughs> yeah, like gin blossoms soul asylum nine inch nails yeah you know just the whole oh uh buffalo tom of
1: course and uh
3: Shoot, I'm missing a big one right now. Um, Matthew Sweet.
0: Of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes.
3: So like all that coming in there and like I'm kind of like all grunge rock. But (laughs) I kinda liked it all.
0: It'd be funny to hear your interpretation of like one of those big late nineties pop songs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean for kicks. I don't know what you know.
3: I don't know. You could Give me the ultimate challenge. What You know, third, third track my way. I
0: think what, what a Girl Wants, Christina Aguilera. Wow. All
3: right. Wow. Okay.
1: Assignment.
3: <laughs> I'm serious.
1: Hilarious. Yeah, because you have, like, such a soulful, sensitive, really thoughtful voice in your music, and I do feel like your interpretations kind of reflect that and yeah that would be super interesting i bet you would do like some kind of deep shit that people that would just blow people's minds <laughs> who would have thought you could cry to britney spears I don't
3: know. <laughs> maybe that's the jazz standard that is the standard totally <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom. All,
0: right.
3: <laughs> all right i'll work on it
0: the cabaret version <laughs> Uh, this actually leads nicely into something I wanted to talk about today. Is that um, you know the first time I saw you I think was at Cake Shop during CMJ many many moons ago, and I think I just kind of stumbled in and you were playing upstairs like a street level, and um, you know there were a handful of people there and I was just like really blown away by your voice by the, the those early songs, um, and then I want to say that you played pianos like. An hour or two later and then i just went there as well <laughs> I was like, she's really good i want to see her again that so, sounds um...
3: like me yeah <laughs> wow
0: and then kind of you know we had you know i saw you a bunch in those early days and then that kind of led into when i put together that morrissey compilation and you covered those two songs that are so beautiful that still exist somewhere in the internet somewhere on youtube they're still there <laughs> i think that was the first time that i and we don't have to talk about covers anymore after this but saw what you could do with a song and kind of make it your own you know a lot of people reached out to me who weren't familiar with you when those when those songs were put out back in like 08 or 09 and they're like who is this tell me more you know so i yeah there's something about your voice that i think is so inviting and intriguing and i think that's why you know, you've had such an incredible career the last decade.
3: It's crazy to think it's been 10 years. Are we that old? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Man, I, yeah, it's funny when I think about that long ago, but I I remember just saying yes to everything because I was so excited, you know, I'm like, did I really just go down the street? I guess I did. Um, (laughs) But it was, that was such a beautiful and vulnerable time, and Mm. I had no idea why I had this drive. Like, I, I never thought I, you know, could realistically be a musician as a career, and I just, you know, it's nice to still love it, even when it is a job, uh, but it's always been a, you know, I was passionate back then for God knows why, and and it means a lot to still hear that you connect with the music and of course. To, to see familiar faces after all this time. Uh, thank you for always being so supportive. I just yeah, wanna say that.
0: of course. Yeah. Um it was kind of crazy when I saw you last year at Beacon Theater when you headlined Beacon I was just like this is um this is such a graduation from cake shop <laughs> being surrounded by like the latte machine you know I mean how is that I mean I saw you there a few years earlier when you opened for Nick Cave which I felt like was such a watershed moment but then when you got to headline it I just I don't know I just for me to kind of witness that I was like this is this is just kind of bananas. And I'm just wondering how you felt to be on that stage and to play kind of a hometown show to such a, a, you know, full room to all those thousands of people.
3: I mean, to be honest, not to downplay headlining Beacon, which was incredible and emotional. And I still can't believe that we did that. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like at every level, um, I've, like, I've been scared. And nervous and have needed that. Like, Cake Shop meant everything to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so sad that it doesn't exist anymore. I know Andy yeah. will find something else because that's what he's really good at. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that shaped me so much. And every time I felt like, okay, yes, maybe I graduated from the next venue up, but like, if I hadn't had that raw experience, that intimate experience that I, in some ways make me more nervous than like opening it you know, it's some for somebody else in like an arena or whatever. I'm like mm-hmm. this is more soul bearing to me when you I can actually see people and and mm-hmm. the from the staff to the to the people that come in that don't have any idea who you are. It's like those intimate connections make me feel more vulnerable <laughs> than mm-hmm. if I'm playing a place like Beacon but What Beacon represents is my journey and the like how long it took me to get there and being a hometown show and like seeing so many familiar faces and in a theater that as large as it is it still feels very intimate and I've seen some of you know some of my favorite shows there as well as just I don't know it just means a lot in terms of feeling like a New Yorker at that time that it meant everything.
0: Yeah. Now, I hear what you're saying in terms of um, kind of the, those intimate rooms can be more intimidating because, you know, for a long time, I did the press for Cafe Carlisle, the, you know, the cabaret room on the Upper East Side. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we'd have names in there that play significantly bigger rooms, but they're either testing out new stuff or they just want to connect more with an audience. But I remember we had Debbie Harry in the room, which was just, uh, you know, mind-blowing. But she was so incredibly nervous which makes sense you know i mean th- in that space it only holds 80 people and they're seated right literally right under you so yeah. that's that's got to be a, there's no breathing room sort of right. speak you know
3: <laughs> i know people are eating and like yeah. they're relaxing <laughs> and they're there for you but it's still like you could you could touch somebody if you wanted to
0: <laughs> you really could yeah.
1: <laughs> do you have to try to like transform yourself into a different space? or transport yourself, rather, like, to a different space when you're on a stage that, but that is a bit bigger and, like, less intimate to kind of get into a different headspace?
3: Absolutely. I mean, when I first, when I was solo and I was just, like, in my jeans and my T-shirt, like, I had to close my eyes and play. Mm. And then as I started playing with other musicians, which, you know, I was a late bloomer to that, I didn't really start playing with other people until 2010. And, um and then i was at least able to look at the other bandmates and i was like oh i can open my eyes and think about mm. something else and like yeah. connect on a different level but then as like the 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 run of show kind of changed and there's transitions between songs and there's less room to talk to like unnerve myself that it was more of like you know what actually getting into like a different outfit instead of what I've been wearing all day and just even if it's just putting on lipstick or you know it kind of it's like the illusion of putting on a costume when it's really just an elevated version of yourself Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I felt like that helped just by feeling like a change of scene feeling like a step outside of myself even if it was still myself that that helped a little bit but I also I like to be quiet before I go on stage and I like, you know, to like breathe a little bit and if I can do vocal exercises to think about something else too, just until it's like you're on your mark and sit, go, all right, freak out. (laughs)
0: going backwards a bit at what age did you decide to leave Jersey and come to New York didn't you have a stint in Tennessee is that true or that's some random Wikipedia thing
3: it's true it's true, it's true. I didn't realize so, that you know in high school I was in musicals and I was in choir and I would go to musicals in New York all the time with my mom and I never and I wrote silly songs with my friend Dana and I played the talent show once on guitar, but like I I wrote like ween kind of songs, you know, they were like silly. Like I think one lyric is there's a gangster on the corner, pants blowing in the wind. And it was just about like someone wearing (laughs) Jenko's on the main street, drinking coffee or something. And like, that was, that was all I knew. I was like, I know how to sing. I'm learning how to play guitar, but it wasn't like, I am a singer songwriter. This is what I'm gonna do. And I, you know, growing up, it was the only path was high school, college, job. And being a musician wasn't really taken seriously. I mean, they so they encouraged the musical interests that I had, but not as a career. Mm. And the only path that I found in college was at a recording, like as a recording major in Tennessee. and Because there wasn't a recording major in New Jersey so i i found this college through my my ap music theory teacher who is also my choir leader and um, it was in murfreesboro tennessee and it was called middle tennessee state university and they had a recording major for production and technology and at the time i thought oh cool now i like i made it out of high school with like a 4.0 and i did decent on my SATs and now I can go to college and take all the classes that I really want to take and then you get there and you have to take all that shit over again you have to like it's like I have to take English I have to take algebra like I struggled to get A's and B's and now I have to do it again and I was Mm. like F that like I am sorry so I got After a year of going, I didn't fail out or, like, drop out. I just decided after a year that I wanted to take a break and not go home. And I stayed in Tennessee, and I ended up getting a job at a venue. And, um, well, it was a coffee shop that started having shows and became more of a collective and got a record store. And then I was learning how to put on shows and help. like support bands and they would crash my house and we would hook them up with food and it was a small place but if you couldn't get a show in Nashville you could get a show at the only like all ages club (laughs) in middle Tennessee so I saw some pretty cool acts and I learned a lot from that and at the time I was in a relationship that was really unhealthy and I just would play guitar and sing and write and um it was right before I ever recorded, it was just all in my head. And I would play open mics and I met a lot of people that way and they said, Oh, like what do you what's the name of your band? And like it kind of like went to Oh, and people are connecting to these really sad songs about my <laughs> my love life. Um so like it, it kind of started there mm-hmm. and then I was there for about four years or so and when the relationship was really bad, I decided to move back to New Jersey with my parents and I stayed with them for a year to get back on my feet. And that's when I started playing out again and going to New York and just trying everything. And I got a job and just things kind of unfolded from there. But I, it wasn't until like my 20, like my mid twenties that music started to become something
1: I took more seriously. It seems like going to Tennessee and kind of going through that whole process really like was an education in itself in a lot of ways, just laying a foundation for you.
3: Absolutely, my mom. My mom calls it the like. Whenever she tries to like back me up because I didn't go to college, she would be like, "Cause she went to the school of life." Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, yes, I did. You know, I learned a lot. I mean, I had even when like kind of like i disconnected from my family i i checked out of school i got a job i was self-sufficient and even though i struggled and like i lived in a shithole and like you know i was living off minimum wage and my rent was like 280 a month for like a one like a one bedroom on the top floor of a house that didn't have a front door (laughs) 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 it was like my 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 uh My door to my apartment, like, had, like, two inches off the floor, so we got mice and stuff, but, like, but it was mine, and, like, I I felt really independent, and I learned how to survive and also to do the thing, like, find, like, what's my thing? What do I love, even when it's hard? And I felt very lucky that my parents welcomed me back and let me stay with them to recharge for a year and they encouraged me to go back to school part-time and get it they're like if you go back to school part-time see a therapist and get a job you can stay here for a year and that that changed my life Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I know you mentioned uh we both mentioned cake shop and some of those earlier venues pianos I was wondering if you could maybe discuss your relationship with some of the other venues that were super supportive I know zebulon's on the list right
3: Zebulon yeah. was a big one, because so mm-hmm. pianos, like I met I met Billy Jones, who mm-hmm. used to book shows. like Chenna Bar, I think, was my first show ever in New York. And then he also booked upstairs at pianos and then got me some shows there. And like I was still getting my confidence and learning how to play to like a loud room of like, you know, pool playing people. It was just like a, you know, it's like Friday night at like 11 o'clock. Like, do you want to hear acoustic guitar at a bar? Like, cool. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, ha- you play these weird slots and like you learn how to deal. And um, I don't know, it gave me, like, it was like I was always up for the challenge. And it helped me get out of New Jersey. So mm-hmm. he was an early supporter who now does Babies All Right, as course, you guys yeah. know. And I think he helps with National Sawdust. Is national it international? National, yeah, I'm no, like, no, intern. I did the press when they
0: first started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: and so, like, I know he was a part of that. So he's just, he's, he's always done really cool things and has encouraged a lot of, I don't know, just eclectic music and just an accepting character. And so I, my friend, Kip Malone, uh, he was like a, his brother was my friend, like one of my best friends in Jersey in high school. And he actually, you gave me a mixtape that we can talk about. Yeah. Um. But uh. So like, I reconnected, uh, with him by seeing a show at Bowery, and it was Celebration, and Kit Malone was opening up for Celebration. And I introduced myself and like, he told me he still had family in Jersey and that anytime I wanted to come and visit, he was down, but then also like he still had family out there. So when he came to visit, like he would reach out. And so we, we built a friendship that way. And he would take me to shows to show me different neighborhoods. And uh, he was just very welcoming early on. And he, he took me to Zabulon one night and, You know they had this amazing mint tea with like a little bit of sugar in there (laughs) because I knew that I had to drive back that night and his friend Patrick was one of the people that helped with music there and he like DJed and and was like he did a little bit everything and Kip gave him a CD of mine and said you should have her play here sometime and and then he reached out to me later and I played a show there and Josh and Jeff were there who are the brothers that are the owners and they just said, you and the people around you are so nice that anytime you want to play a show, we welcome you here, consider yourself part of the family, and, you know, not so many words, but mm-hmm. I felt accepted, you know, and so I, 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 anytime I reached out, I was able to curate my own nights there, and that kind of turned into, like, a, a thing for me, because I, I, there weren't many venues that I kept going back to as, like, a residency kind of a Mm -hmm. feeling. And so I got Mm -hmm. to curate the nights, pick the bands and my dad would drive out. It was a family affair. It felt really nice and it's really comforting.
0: That is really nice. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that doesn't exist as much now. I mean, obviously in the age of COVID, but even pre-COVID where, I don't know, where a venue will kind of uh, take time with an artist and grow with the artist and, and give them the space and the ability to do something like that. I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. think it's rarer, at least in New York.
3: Yeah, I mean, I it's not the same. I mean, Rockwood still does residencies, right? I feel like I've gotten to see. No, it's interesting. Zebulon was definitely just, you know, it was was very nurturing. And, you know, I feel very lucky that they're here now. Although, you know, who knows um, when I'll see them again, but hopefully soon.
0: Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that mixtape?
3: Oh, yes, So uh, (laughs) Colin's brother, I mean, I knew him as Colin, and he's changed his name since. He was like, super involved alternative music. But on the on the mixtape, like he had a band called Honey Rider with another one of his friends that was really fun. And you know, they encouraged me to play like a benefit for Amnesty International at like a sister high school. And so we all used to hang out and like, go thrifting together and like driving cars recklessly and you know we would always go to the state arts fair together and like just be silly on the lawn while everybody else was taking it seriously but one of the tapes that he gave me it had uh tiny lights on there with this song called evil that was amazing and then a lot of like it was the first time i had heard pavement Mm-hmm. and there's also Sonic Youth on there, which I hadn't really heard, and then all of a sudden in my, like, junior year of high school, I start getting, re- like, really into, like, noise, the noise side of rock and grunge, and that, yeah, that was, those are the three main things on that mixtape that were pretty rad. Were you, like, a giver of mixtapes, too? I've had my fair share. Um, you know, I actually got, like, a boom box to try to to try to do it on the radio again, to like just the incomplete. oh wow old school, yeah. But <laughs> I was like the incomplete kind of uh, you know, like you don't catch the first song, or you just recording the you know you you just recording the end of a song, or you hear the DJ about to introduce a song you know that yeah. you love. Um, but I also got a boombox because my my little guy he started getting into like early hip hop and mm. um, he really likes Curtis Blow right now. Yeah. And so, um, nice. <laughs> there's a song called like Do the Do, and, uh, and so I found this whole like lot on eBay of all these old cassettes that um so he can learn how to use the cassette player. And, oh, I uh, love that. But I mean, you know, there's an art to the the pause first mm-hmm. the stop and i never i never got as far as splicing but i love making collages mm. and uh cutting out teen magazines and yeah. like <laughs> my, i think my sister had bop was that what it was called yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> with an exclamation
0: point i think oh yeah
3: my mom got really mad when i started cutting up the times but uh <laughs> it was but yeah, I miss those days. I know when when I get the stereo set up here proper, maybe I'll start making cassette tapes again.
0: Oh my god, that's great! You know, it's do something that do that. that? Um, do you... I haven't done that in a long time. Uh huh. Yeah,
1: But I haven't um, done that in a while.
0: <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm happy that you brought up kind of the the text element of it and the collage element because that's not something we've really discussed on the podcast too much. But it also was a crucial part of of the whole process
3: Mm -hmm. i still have a typewriter i don't you know i'll I'll use just for if i have a line here or there and it's just it's actually still i don't know if i can turn this well enough for you to see but i have it there yeah on top of the piano yeah (laughs) Yeah, so i have it there and i'm just like oh that's a good line or this is just what i'm doing right now and um you know just pieces here and there, or if I'm labeling something and it just looks a little nicer with a strip of typed out,
0: mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm.
3: uneven text.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wanted to briefly discuss, there was a moment in time, I guess in like 08, 09, 10, where you were working or interning at Bada Bing, and then also gigging. Uh, and I always thought it was so funny because we would speak through you know, uh, regarding your gigs. And then we would also speak through when I was running my old site, like setting up <laughs> premieres and stuff. So I kind of knew you in two different ways, I guess. But yeah, I guess that you were kind of juggling multiple things, no?
3: Yeah, it was amazing. Uh-huh. And I actually, I, I met Ben Goldberg, who runs Bada Bing, through my friend Alicia, who was his first employee, because she went to Middle Tennessee State. So when I moved back up north, I reconnected with her, and then she... She was working with him, helping him with Beirut, when that was all happening. Mm-hmm. And I was working at Astor Wine, and, you know, I had almost taken this route into the wine industry because I'm such a wine lover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, maybe this is a stable career for me. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I think that should just be a hobby because I just <laughs> enjoy it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I went from, like, working at Astor to interning at Bada Bing, and then between really two jobs and then playing nights that like my schedule started feeling really crazy for being a new new yorker and like figuring out that balance in your 20s Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was super understanding and really supportive and liked me and needed a little extra help so he offered to hire me properly and so Mm. i let the astor job go and um, worked at the label and you know i was afraid to tell him that i did music at first because i didn't want him to think i was Doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to learn how to do it for myself because I was hand making my own CDs and, you know, I, I was more interested in how the industry worked, even though I wasn't even sure if I wanted to be a part of it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but seeing it from his side and how it was out of his apartment and it was friends working together, putting them together and talking about ideas like that that is the side of the industry I felt lucky enough to be a part of early on and see that side of it because I think if I had gone to a major label I would have I would have been deterred to pursue music but seeing it from such a grassroots level and like being through the eyes of a friend I felt like this is something that made sense for me Mm -hmm. but I wasn't you know, I, I didn't know what blogs were. I didn't know about, you know, the only, th- I knew MySpace, but that's about <laughs> it, I think. And and MapQuest, just because I got lost all the time, but, <laughs> which is crazy to think about all those things and how much they've changed in really oh, yeah. what was a small amount of time. He he was very nurturing and, you know, taught me about elbows and how to research bands and who's writing about them and you, and, and all, all the music that you wrote about were things that I really connected with, and and you supported the roster, and we, like, I still really appreciate it, and I still really appreciate you, Um, because it it was, you know, that those are, I felt like those were pioneering times, and I didn't know anything, and I wasn't the best publicist, but I met a lot of amazing people through it, and, you know, Mm. so thank you. No, I I, I mean,
0: I think, yeah, all of us have fond memories from that moment in time, and, and kind of I think all of us were juggling many things at once. So we can all kind of relate to that kind of life, you know? Yeah. that's just kind of how it was.
1: Yeah. We just made it work somehow. You made it work. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I feel like the, the scene back then, at least it was very, like everyone was bonded together. I feel like, and in a really supportive way. And then there were so many different ways to like get it, Exposed, let's say for lack of a better term but you know like getting your you know song on some blog that was like blowing up you know you get a relationship to a publicist and then you just start going to all these shows because they'll just throw you on the list and Mm -hmm. then and then also in terms of like what you experienced like really kind of getting to see, like, the, the other side, you know, you're like, you were doing the creative side, being an artist, but also getting to see kind of the business side is, like, so special, because I don't think a lot of artists, you know, really get that kind of education, per se, while they're
3: it's funny when we still when we talk about rollouts of records like I I, I get laughed at cuz I still believe in like the 6 month lead time and like the, you know like the tiered kind of like release and um you know like ha- like talking to people about specific times and you know premieres and stuff but it's like I I I get I get so much anxiety when I hear like bands just drop a record without anything. I'm like, oh, what a nightmare! <laughs> I'm Like, good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know how to. Like, I don't feel safe in that. You know, I I, I still like the build, and I like um, the excitement of things being leaked and you mm-hmm. know, that that kind of stuff.
0: Well, speaking of the build, I feel like your career has been a nice build. It hasn't necessarily been like one minute you're the, the trendiest thing and then it disappears. With each album, I feel like you have grown a, a larger audience and also have kind of really come into your own. And I, I, I mean, I'm not just saying this because we're on this call now, but I really feel like your last album was one of the, the strongest releases of the last few years without a doubt, you know? And, um, yeah, I just kind of feel like that's the kind of career growth that I think is sustainable as opposed to kind of being flash in the pan. You know what I mean?
3: Well, it's just such a different time now too, where it's just, it's a lot of singles and I, I don't, I still don't fully understand the streaming world and I, I pay attention, but I, I don't know if I subscribe to it. And I, I don't think I write the kind of music that is like trendy, so I'm not worried about sustaining anything that I never had. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I know it's not, I, you know, talking to my team, I'm like, I know this isn't ideal and it's left of center and it's dark and the songs are more than three minutes, but hear me out. You know, like (laughs) I've never had to explain myself. And, um, and I think being surrounded by the right people to encourage the, the choices and the tendencies that I have and, and keeping, those people on your on your side, um, you you grow you grow together, um, mm-hmm. hopefully. Mm-hmm. And every time I make a record, I want to try something different. I I still very much believe in the melody and the song in itself, and then I try to change something every time, so I'm not making the same thing because I know that I have certain sensibilities, and I know that I gear you know, I lean towards certain keys and tempos. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be another mid-tempo dirge, everybody. So uh, <laughs> watch out. Um, but, you know, also to allow new people to come in and challenge me and push me to try things I never did before. Because whenever I make a record, I always have this group of songs that I know that makes sense together. But learning how to work with somebody else and giving them those songs and giving them the freedom to take it somewhere but also having the conversation about where you where you like what your influences are or what the instrument like what is the sonic palette and what are your give me three artists that like you're thinking about right now or that you're listening to or if there's none you know like some kind of dialogue to make it feel like a collaboration even when you're kind of letting go of the songs and mm-hmm. then i you know for this past record i literally gave john the songs we had a long conversation about palette and influences and then i just showed up at the studio as a singer <laughs> it's like karaoke to songs i've written i've never heard before <laughs> and um it was sort of scary but it was one of the best experiences I ever had. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. You kind of transitioned into also acting roles as well, which is like a whole other art form. How did that all come about? And how has that changed your life as well as an artist?
3: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's all like the universe is a funny thing. I'll just say that because, you know, like I remember it was a big dramatic kind of uh it was after touring are we there and i decided to take a break from the road to focus on my life about to go to school like i just got accepted at a Brooklyn college and my manager gets an email for me to do a reading for the oa and i was like are you kidding me i'm like what they're like well just to, you know my manager was just like just try it I mean you're home it's shooting in New York like who knows you might not even get it, it doesn't matter but it seems interesting and I read the story and the character Rachel was a singer that left home and to, you know to pursue her career and something intense happens on the way and her voice is her, her voice changes And so I kind of, I connected to it, even though it was a sci-fi. I'm like, okay, this is kind of interesting. Do the audition. And I gave it my best. I thought I did pretty well. And then we left and we kind of laughed and we got a cocktail and we cheersed. And we're like, oh well, maybe next time. And then the next day we got a call saying that I got it. And, you know, I was like, what they're like well if you really want to do this you have to report in two weeks and it's gonna be like two two or three months of shooting i think mm-hmm. can't remember exactly now but it turns out the casting director saw me and zeke as a duo opening up for nick cave at the beacon <laughs> <laughs> and And in his Rolodex of, you know, I don't know how many other like dark singer songwriters he reached out to, but I think I know a couple, Um, (laughs) but they, they were just like, I came to mind in that role, but I think they reached out to other singers, but I won't say who (laughs) Um, you can imagine, but so he ended up. You know, convincing me to go in. Like my manager said, you should do this. And I even talked to my parents and Stuart Lerman, who produced a lot that the "Are We There" record. And I was just like, um, "Should I do this? I feel like kind of a phony. Like there was this big dramatic exit with my band for a pause for me to go back to school. But like now, I'm going to take an acting job. <laughs> like this seems kind of crazy." Um, but even my mom just said, (laughs) you can always go back, (laughs) which is kind of funny now because she was always like the person telling me to go. I went, you know, I did the job and I did the acting and, and, you know, as long as I could defer my enrollment to the next semester and I did the next semester and then I found out I was pregnant. And so like all these things were like, what? The universe, again, we can't make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. So that kind of got me interested in that world and seeing how people interact and how they interpret a scene and how I can draw in my own experience as a singer and bring that into like onto set. But I still like I'm I don't I I still don't think I'm very good <laughs> but I, I would love whenever, you know, the environment allows to take acting lessons I would love to do that and I'm actually taking a writing class right now um Mm -hmm. at the community college just online and you know just kind of sharpening different tools because it is an interesting side of it but I yeah I don't know where it's going though
0: was (laughs) it it was rewarding though I imagine
3: I mean you know it's interesting because I've never been a part of a production before like that and You know, it's very different than plays and musicals in high school, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's not like you're rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing for this one day. It's more like you're supposed to show up and, like, know it and then redo it and redo it and redo it and redo it. And and you don't know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you don't know how they're, you don't know how they're shooting it. You don't know what sounds they're getting. You don't know what what angle or whose perspective. And... Mm. You know they're they're shooting everyone's perspective the whole time so you know it's but it, it was fun and it was exhilarating and it was scary and I felt unworthy and I felt that like a you know I felt like I wanted to learn more immediately
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like you know even as a singer you're like tapping into different emotions within yourself and if you can you know an- convey like a story through song you know it seems reasonable to think that you could kind of tap into the same kind of you know bu- talent or whatever to really kind of capture that character maybe but
3: you know it's like for music it's like i'm i'm, I'm taking my own experience and putting it into song Whereas for a role, it's like I'm taking my own experience and being somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the main difference that I had a hard time. And, you know, at least when you're singing, you're, you know, I know that I'm making weird faces, but then I don't have to look at myself. (laughs) But then it's like when you're acting and I'm like, oh, I I do this. This is (laughs) like I made this face, I think, that whole season. I'm just like (laughs) singing them. (laughs) <laughs> like i swear you can like turn it into a fun drinking game you're like oh she's doing the furrow again is she doing the furrow again she is you know i'm like i need to figure out like okay not this <laughs> yeah. i'm like i yeah anyway this totally. is a podcast y'all can't see my faces but i have a furrow <laughs> i have a furrow that i do and my brow and i actually have a permanent wrinkle Cause i remember even as a kid my sister said i did the frown face and i never realized that i did that until it was captured forever <laughs> my goodness.
0: let's hop into repeat skip okay the first album we're going to talk about is portis heads live album from 98 although it was recorded in 97 at Roseland, which is no longer uh, around in New York. Sharon, this was one of your high school favorites, no? This release?
3: Yes. I remember We, my friends and I would go on these beach runs um, after school. We'd try to go as fast as we can, and we went to this beach called Belmar. And one time we stopped. I think the town was called Brick, and there is a, a record store called Vintage Vinyl. And Vintage
0: Vinyl I've heard of.
3: Yeah, so the two big stores are Princeton and Vintage, like Princeton Record Exchange and Vintage mm-hmm. Vinyl. But that that was, I remember walking in and just being like, "This looks amazing! Like, I want to. I don't even know what this sounds like, but I just I was drawn to this cover. And I think you could set up the headphones and I listened to the opening track, and my mm-hmm. mind was just blown. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've never heard those kinds of sonics combined before. And I and I just remember thinking, like, how did I miss this, you know? Because I got it right – and then it was – I think it was 99 that I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, man – I guess it was 98 if it came out because it was on the stand. But mm-hmm. I was like, did I just miss this concert? <laughs> I lived here, and I didn't know this existed. You know, like, when you're so – when the proximity becomes a curse um, uh, to New York, I mean. But – um Yeah, I, that was like one of my first own discoveries, you know, outside of somebody playing me something that definitely continues to change and influence me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was first, I mean, the first time I heard Portishead was when I saw the video for Sour Times in like 94 Mm -hmm. or something. And I was, I was drawn to the strangeness of it all and the kind of, the mystery and I was um, yeah I just remember buying the cassette single when that was the thing Uh, Nobody Beats the Wiz (laughs) Wow Yeah way back Um, and yeah and then just kind of falling in love with Dummy and then the self-titled album and then this I think what's so great about this live record is that Well, first of all, it's just, in my view, it's pretty flawless. Mm -hmm. But her voice, Beth's voice on record is, I mean, I don't even, stunning is an understatement. But in a live setting, she just takes it somewhere that is kind of like atmospheric. It's really crazy. And like, Jin and I were texting yesterday, like, it's not my favorite track, actually, Sour Times, but in in this live version, uh, that last minute when the song really explodes and her vocals just kind of go off the deep end it's chilling like it's goosebump inducing for me
3: I mean you know to be able to capture something live I mean because what I love about going to shows is that you know you'll never see the same show again and what's scary about recording it is that you can't really capture what you saw Mm -hmm. but I feel like I've listening to this record like i feel like it's the closest thing to ever feeling like i'll be there Mm -hmm. and i can feel her mic control and i can feel like her feeling the audience and like the whole the people around her and like i don't know i just i was like this is somebody i want to like before i really knew i was going to be a singer there i was like i want to be her like i want (laughs) to be there and Mm -hmm. i want to (laughs) understand
0: yeah yeah i Um, wish i was at that show i mean i guess i was like 16 or so when that show happened and I wasn't really going to gigs in Manhattan, you know, not yeah. yet. Yeah,
3: yeah, I was definitely more of a, there was a place called King Buffet in like the downtown Main Street in Clinton, and uh, it was a, more ska bands and jam bands, and the Firehouse had a couple of punk shows, but I didn't make it to a lot of shows in New York then in my teens.
1: Yeah, like I think I was just arriving in New York. I think I came to New York like August of 97. Oh, wow. I wasn't like cool. So, I, you know, like I was like, you know, late bloomer. Like we talk about this a lot, how Matt and I were, were kind of late bloomers. And me in particular, like New York was like a whole life education. Oh yeah. I don't even think I was aware of Roseland. I think I was like going to NYU and like probably going to Irving Plaza. I remember like NYU one year like they closed their venue and instead we're putting on shows at Irving they're like, you know, programming board shows at Irving Plaza or something. Huh. And so, yeah, like I totally miss this listening to this album. It really I feel like it's one of the best, like, live albums I've heard. Yeah, I agree. It's so transportive and all, just so many elements going on and you just get, like, sucked into this, like, world. And then, you know, Beth Gibbons' voice comes in and it just, like, pierces your soul, (laughs) you know? It's just, like, (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, so I was just, like, I was really happy you picked this. Yeah, (laughs) no, it's... Yeah, it's it's so dynamic
3: and it's still it's still very fresh to me and I, I still don't think anyone's done anything to top this in my mind.
0: No. I had the opportunity to work with Domino on a release that Beth put out last year with the Is Polish it the National. Opera yeah, it's ah, with the Polish National Orchestra, yeah. Very cool. It's also a live recording. It was recorded in, I think, 2014, but it wasn't released until last year. She's not singing in English. She's singing in, in Polish. Yeah, it was... Which is
3: crazy, by the way. It's so crazy. <laughs> she yeah. learned Polish for this. Yeah.
0: It was surreal. Like, first of all, that's also a stunning album, but, you know, I don't connect with it in the same way that I do with this release, for obvious reasons. To have the opportunity to even work with her in, you know, kind of that way was... Uh, was kind of nuts but you know I also love that she kind of keeps the mystery around her and doesn't give interviews and doesn't really ever talk Uh, there's no stage banter none of that it's kind of like what you the lyrics kind of speak for themselves her live performance speaks for itself and I I think there's something to be said about that because that's all you need with with Mm -hmm. someone who is an interpreter of song like that
3: yeah and you're also like you know at a certain point I feel like early on people told me like you know try not to talk so much because you kind of like kill the vibe you know and I'm like I get that but I'm like if I don't speak then I'm gonna cry because I don't know how to handle these emotions but when I I understand that when you have a mood and you're creating this mood and like the mood is just growing and it's more and more intense and more intense and more intense and you choose to wait until you let that intensity go like that's when it's really powerful and Mm. especially for for their music i feel like you have to kind of keep that intensity going and they do that yeah <laughs> very it's well. kind of funny
1: because like i was reading that like before this album came out that people were kind of wondering if beth could like sing live like she does in the studio like she was kind of more self-admittedly like more of a studio singer Mm -hmm. and and then this album came out and everybody just shut up (laughs) about that and they were like oh she can sing. (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah i saw them at hammerstein in 2011 so i waited like almost two decades to see them and it was it was i mean otherworldly it was so so good and actually at the very end of the show beth kind of was giving hugs to people in the front and i got a hug and i felt like Uh, (laughs) yeah it was a moment for me (laughs) i've
3: never gotten to see them live so i you know i'm shame on me i wish well they
0: don't really tour very much no
3: i did get to see jeff barrow's band though beak yeah they Mm -hmm. were at what is that elsewhere Mm-hmm. I saw them mm-hmm. at Elsewhere, which, I mean, this feels like forever ago now, but they were really fun. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, very different. Very different, But, like, yeah. still got some proggy aspects of it. And, um, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, but good vibes.
0: Yeah, I don't – It for me, I really wouldn't skip anything on this release, but I think if I were forced to pick something I would skip, it would maybe be half-day closing, just because it's, like, a little warbly and um, it feels like you're kind of underwater a bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe that one kind of stands out as an anomaly. I don't know. But I mean, I love every track on this album, specifically Glory Box. I think it was kind of a treat to hear All Mine and Only You. Only You. Thank you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Only
1: You. Only You. Yeah.
0: I feel like they don't perform those songs. They haven't performed either song live in, in decades. So I feel like in general these days when they do perform, which is so infrequent, they kind of skip that that middle self-titled album, which is so good. I mean, they're mm-hmm. all so good. You yeah. Know? So it was a treat to hear those.
3: I'll have to say, and and I'll, you know, this is uh, Sharon's confessional here, but this was definitely on my, like, make-out mix for sure. Like, yeah. and at a certain point, like, <laughs> I remember there's some boy that was like, I think I've made out to this song too many times with other girls that I don't think I could, like... <laughs> Like, oh wow, it's, this is a thing. Wow. I thought I was doing something very <laughs> unique. Um, so I think I nipped that in the bed, bed, in the bed, in the bud early on. <laughs> I it. In the bed. But I was like, yeah, Only You is definitely one of those songs. And I was like, all right, when I want to take it down a notch, I'm going not. to like, you know, it's serious when Sharon puts that song on. Uh, oh my
1: god, I love that. Yeah, there's something about the intensity oh, of it that like feels appro- it would feel appropriate in that kind of intimate moment for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. What's your like favorite track on like the whole album? Um,
3: well, I mean, "Only You" is definitely one for me. There's a song called "Roads" that I remember being—it was mm-hmm. on a soundtrack. It's like one of my first film festivals I went to for a bunch of college kids in Philly and it was the closer to the short that was a really beautiful i think it was like a black and white silent student film but i just remember being moved by it and i was like oh i like i actually know the song but it when you when you put picture to music i remember specifically that just being elevated and you know and, you know not thinking about songs being closers or openers or um, you know creating a mood other than the mood that you put onto it but it definitely felt like you were going somewhere and listening to that song and I, I don't know, just like these memories just popped into my head as I'm like listening to all these songs like I'm like, oh yeah that's so weird why the, the weird things that you are imprinted from time but I, rem- I remember mm-hmm. being at mm-hmm. yeah watching student film in Philadelphia and feeling like it was just one of the most
1: beautiful endings yeah. Well, were there any tracks you would skip? Because <laughs> that <laughs> was hard for me. Yeah, it's um, very hard.
3: I I mean, I honestly, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think, if that's yeah. okay to say that. I
1: mean, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: I I think this is a pretty perfect yeah, release. So, For sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I had a really hard time making one, but one I came up with was like Strangers just because It just seemed more out of place in the context of all the other songs, not because it was a bad song or a bad performance, but it had a more like jazzy tempo to it, the way she was, they were performing Mm -hmm. it. So it just stuck out a little bit more to me, just in that way. But I don't know, I honestly would just listen to the whole album in (laughs) one sitting. Our
0: second repeat skip is Liz Fair's sophomore album, Whip Smart, from 94. I got to say, like I was I was kind of introduced to Liz Fair with the White Chocolate Space Egg album mm-hmm. when I was like 18, 19, and then I kind of went backwards and then forward. So my starting point was there, but I kind of wish my starting point was earlier because this is a great album, but I'm, yeah. I'm probably more familiar with white chocolate space egg and then for revisiting sure. exile and then going forward so this yeah. album is probably the one I'm least familiar with to be honest um, but it's a great one
3: yeah it was the first one I heard and I know it was kind of I felt like you know i I came into a lot of bands late where I got like the odd record and I'm like this is my favorite one and everyone's looking at me like what are you kidding me like <laughs> this is not what they're known for but I mean that's just where I, I came up so I was like I think I found this in 95 uh, or 96, and so I was, like, a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and I remember it had, like, the white cassette with, like, the pink writing, and it was, like, her, you know, the star took up the whole front. I love that before. cover. It was, yeah, it's just so, I don't know, it just, it felt, like, fun, but shocking in a way, and, like, she has, she had this way of talking to you, like, she was, a, like, a, like a foul mouth friend of yours, you know, that you're just like sneaking cigarettes in the back of a gas station with, or something. Like I don't know, there was just, there's always been. She always just felt like a friend, you know, and it felt attainable mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. It was like I relate to you. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was something very comforting about her, this record to me. And I my I remember sitting on my, I had I shared a room with my sisters, and we had uh, we had two twin beds with them pinkest flower comforters on there and I just remember sitting I had like my cassettes and shoe boxes and sitting with my headphones listening to the to the Liz Fair tape for the first time mm-hmm. over and over and mm-hmm. over again
1: yeah I actually did have this I think on cassette <laughs> now that you bring it up but yeah like I I got into her during exile in Guyville so like when this album came out she could do no wrong (laughs) 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 and uh, you know I was just kind of like obsessed with her because I I feel the same as you like she she did seem like really relatable and me being like a repressed teenager or whatever like she was talking about all these like dirty things (laughs) (laughs) it was just felt very like naughty to me um in a way but like very honest so it was like Really cool to just like see that voice out there that's like expressing, you know, just like normal life stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then, um, no filter to me, to me yeah, <laughs> like divorce and- song was pretty, like,
0: oh, yeah, still,
3: it's still, it's oh, still okay. like a highlight for me, um, totally. of all of hers. But I'll
0: yeah, Jen there. and I saw yeah. her at Prospect Park last summer, and she the encore was fucking run in divorce song, Oh, yeah.
1: amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It was crazy because, like, Ted Leo came up on stage and sang Fucking Run With Us," we, yeah. we, like, lost our minds. Yeah. We were like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this awesome. is crazy. Um, but, yeah, like, it was awesome to, like, revisit this album, actually. I hadn't listened to it in a while. And it it's the funny thing about music is, like, you know, there's all these like memories and emotions attached to it and they really do stick around, you know. Mm-hmm. I you know, so revisiting it was like a total like experience for me, let's say. I'd be like singing along, like, oh I totally remember these lyrics and I don't know. Did you have like a particular favorite
3: on the album? I like the slow jam the best. Is that shocking? Um Dogs <laughs> of LA. Um uh-huh. that's a good mm, one. It it was Definitely one I had on repeat over and over again, but yeah, I was just like, there's just something about the melody that was, it was like kind of minor, but like kind of sci-fi, like it felt like a like a piece of fiction for the like, in relation to her other stuff, you know. I was just like, I know it's a narrative, but it felt distant and mm. uh, mysterious, and um, I don't know, just I like the darker side of it without it having to be so upbeat and like the the swing to it that like made it feel um hypnotic but like for her it was pretty slow so i don't Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm.
0: i feel like there are a couple moments on this album that differ from exile and that she's kind of she approaches the song a little differently some Mm -hmm. of the songs are a little slower or a little more introspective or i don't i don't know what term to use exactly but there is a little bit of a different vibe in general Mm -hmm. um but that said, I'm super basic with my repeat. And I, I have to pick Supernova. I just think that is such a great single. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, I just I, I think it's one of her best like radio jam kind of songs. Oh, you know? my
3: God. Absolutely. And there was like the crazy wah that she had going on on that like guitar solo or uh-huh. whatever. not even a solo it was like the main rhythm guitar yeah. throughout the whole thing. It was it was it was pretty ballsy.
1: I have to say. <laughs> yeah <laughs> for me it was like um nashville i don't know uh how you guys feel about that song but like once it came on i was just like i was like frozen because i was just <laughs> like all these like memories from like when i was a young uh, you know uh adolescent i don't know whatever teenager (laughs) came back and like it just like took a hold of something inside me and i was like whoa i forgot how much i love this song it's so crazy it was a total trip (laughs) to kind of revisit yeah going down
3: memory lane there (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) yeah there's something about this album that's so quintessential like I was going to say 90s, but specifically like 93, 94. It just sounds like it's from, like it, it just soundtracks that year so well. I can't really explain it. Like I hear these songs and I think of my so-called life and I think of Manic Panic Hair and I think oh, of totally. like jeans with the, you know, the the knee is all uh you know, a, a hole in the knee. Like all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. The Doc Martens. Like I just hear the it. flannel I,
3: shirt. Yeah. yeah all it's of all it. there. It's yeah. all there. I mean it's like when, again when the wall comes in and it's just it, it's like a, a palette of the times with the pedals and stuff i just feel mm-hmm. like it is it's nice to go back to that place i mean i like timeless music as well for different reasons but mm-hmm. it's also nice to go back to somewhere specific
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and she's still i mean when we saw her last year i mean of course she was great like mm-hmm. I, it was it was kind of a joy to see her uh, mm-hmm. after all it these was. years yeah
3: i'm trying to remember where i ran into her we played the same festival and she actually made a point to say hi and just say like that she she liked the record and everything and like she even like gave okay. me her number and was like I live by the beach you should come by I'm like what are you kidding me I was like how am I gonna go to the beach with Liz fair I love you but I don't know how to do this right, um, right. but she was super humble and um, yeah it was just nice she's a
1: human she yeah a human. yeah and she still got it
0: yeah she does.
1: Oh my gosh, she she was so good. I I didn't know what to expect because I hadn't seen her live in so long, and um, and she was like one of like the first kind of concerts I had experienced in New York just through NYU, and so for me to see her like you know last year was like such a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it took definitely took me back to like my, the teen me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, you know. It's a good
3: place to be most of the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I had a hard time picking a skip, too, but I don't know. I think I picked Jealousy just because, I don't know, it's just something about it that didn't resonate as much, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that one. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, it, it, it's upbeat, and I um I like the shakers
3: in it and everything, but I – like just driving and fun and stuff. But for some reason, the one that I I always had a hard time with was support system. Like, (laughs) and maybe it was just like too much wah or like because it came out right after Supernova that I was like um you know i'm like and also like what do you mean you don't need a support system like you totally need a support. everyone needs a support system what are you talking about like i wanted to call her, i should text her right now i need a, you, everyone needs a support exactly. system um but not know. other was just something that like maybe it was just the way it fell in the record but like you know sequencing is
1: so hard
0: yeah yeah for me it's true for me it was yeah. shane i don't know for some reason i couldn't get into that one as much
1: huh yeah I like that one. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something uh,
3: that, you, that you're like, do, do you struggle with shame
0: now? No. I kidding. struggle with shame,
3: yeah. Is there a Shane in your past? You know, maybe there
0: was. I don't remember Shane. But...
3: <laughs> you didn't like that movie? That was one of my dad's favorite movies. Shane. Shane?
0: I don't know. I don't do know I know Shane? No, know that I don't know <laughs> oh, Shane. Oh, it's,
3: it's so old. It's like, uh <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Now I'm gonna have to watch it.
3: I don't no <laughs> it. <laughs> No, it's a sweet old. It's like one of his fail It was one of my dad's favorite films. So like he always would recommend it. It's kind of like old Yeller vibes in a way. Oh, got it. That mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Shane. There Shane. you
0: go. <laughs> I wonder
3: if that's what it was about. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Needs a little, little homework after the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us today uh, for our season finale. I am so excited we got to talk with you.
3: It's really nice to catch up with you and, you know, sending my love to East Coast and just, you know, thanks for always being supportive and thank you for just, you know, just being who you are and supporting music in general and just being good people. And I hope that you hang in there and stay positive and healthy and, just know that I'm thinking about you out here. Thanks for reaching out.
0: Oh, of course. Likewise.
1: <laughs> thanks so much, Sharon. This was amazing, and can't wait to hear new music from you. And I also really love. I just want to say I love the track you just released, "Let Go." So good. Oh, and,
3: thanks. And then it
1: made me Google the documentary, and I was like, mind blown. It's heavy. <laughs>
3: it's yeah. It's, it's 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 not light material, and it's and it's. know it's obviously so relevant right now and um
1: you know good on you for lending you know your voice to that because that was literally everywhere Mm -hmm. like then you know and so i think that a lot of people are going to find out about that documentary because of your song
3: well it was i mean giorgio um did a great job on it as everyone, i haven't met everyone on the on the team but um They were just so easy to work with and they're really sweet people and the documentary is really beautiful and I connected with it a lot so I hope other people. But it's called Feels Good Man, Yeah, Feels Good Man.
0: So that was our season finale, season three finale with Sharon Van Etten. Thank you so much for joining us this season and we will catch you in the near future next season season, (laughs) uh, on Mixtape Memories. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.